This week's Bible in the News focuses in on the origins of Christmas. In these origins lies a dark and mysterious secret which exposes modern Christianity as a religious system which has fallen away from the true gospel revealed in the Bible. This is Matt Davies joining you for a special Christmas edition of the Bible in the News. If one really wanted to understand the origins of Christmas, a logical place to begin would be with the word Christmas itself. This is a compound word invented by the Catholic Church which means Christ's Mass or the Mass of Christ. The Mass is a celebration of the Eucharist, the small loaf of bread which the Church teaches changes by the process of transubstantiation into the very flesh of Jesus. And by Christ, of course, is meant the third part of a Trinity God, according to the Church. This Mass is one of many special Masses the Catholic Church dedicates to various saints, angels and events throughout the year. For example, the following Masses, amongst others, are observed by most Catholic Churches. Candlemas, which is the celebration of the presentation of Jesus at the Temple, supposedly happened on February the 2nd, so there's a special Mass for that. Lamas, the festival of the wheat harvest, which happens in August, August the 1st. Marymas, the celebration of Mary's so-called Assumption, happens on August the 15th. Michaelmas happens on the 29th of September, which is the feast of Saint Michael and all angels. Hallowmas, or All Saints Day, is celebrated on November the 1st. Martinmas, the patron Saint Martin's Day, is celebrated on the 11th of November. And after Christmas, there's Childermas, the Holy Innocents Day, on the 28th of December, which is held to commemorate Herod's destruction of the infants, as recorded in the Bible. And so Christmas is just another specially named Mass, therefore, in a series of Masses which are conducted throughout the year. So with this background of the festival firmly steeped in the church tradition, you would not be blamed for assuming this festival was Christian. Well, you would be wrong. Because the real origins of Christmas go back much further to the pre-Christian times of the Roman Empire and before the roots of Christmas are, in fact, steeped in paganism. Pagans believed in lots of gods, and many of the pre-Christian religions, with the exception of Judaism, would be considered pagan. Many of the concepts of paganism can be traced way back in time through the ancient cultures of the Romans, Greeks, Egyptians and Babylonians. According to the Bible, it was the Babylonian leader Nimrod in Genesis 11 who first corrupted God's truth and brought in a rival system of worship and rulership, which is why God caused the confusion of the languages at the religious Tower of Babel. The ideas from Nimrod 
went with all the peoples as they clustered together in the languages they had been given. And this is why we can find similar myths and pagan rituals across many of the cultures of the ancient world. And two of the key doctrines from the pagan times, just worthy of note in passing, would be the idea of an immortal soul that lives on after death, and an idea of a bad god with legs of a goat and horns. But more on this later on. In the wintertime, around December the 25th, the pagans used to celebrate a festival. This celebration and the meaning of it varied from place to place and evolved down through time. The general idea, though, behind the celebration was the victory of the gods of light over the gods of darkness as the nights began to get lighter. In Roman times, Throughout the Roman Empire, the festival had turned into the holiday called Saturnalia. And Saturnalia was a week-long period of lawlessness celebrated between December the 17th to December the 25th. During these dates, the Roman courts were closed and Roman law dictated that no one could be punished for damaging property or injuring people during the day's of the celebration, the holiday. An ancient Greek writer called Lucian records what this festival was like, and amongst acts of gross immorality, the main theme was mainly around enjoying much food and drink. It seems the population of pagans, they really enjoyed their festival, and it makes sense. It was something to look forward to in the darkness of winter, and most of the rituals were based around lights which brightened up the gloom. Behind the lights, though, false wor worship was being performed to pagan gods, which, as we know, is an abomination to the God of the Bible, the true and living God, who had revealed a true way of worshipping him. Indeed, the law he gave to his people of Israel clearly decreed that, quote, thou shalt have no other gods before me. Thou shalt not make unto thee any graven image or any likeness of anything that is in heaven above or that is in the earth beneath or that is in the water under the earth. Thou shalt not bow down myself to them nor serve them, for I, the Lord thy God, am a jealous God. End quote. Exodus 20, verses 3 to 5. In God's eyes... This worship of the pagan gods in the winter festival and the practices which went with it were not honouring to him. God's people of Israel were often embastered by the prophets for following the ways of the pagan heathen nations around them. God called for holiness and separation from their ways. And it's inconceivable that the faithfuls of old like Abraham or Moses would have indulged in the pagan festivals and rituals of their day. In the year 313 AD, a Roman emperor called Constantine changed the state religion of Rome from all-out paganism to become tolerant of Christianity. And he did this for political reasons. Like most politicians, the key to success is compromise. The Christians supported him and even joined his armies, believing they were fighting for Christ. And this was helped further when Constantine claimed he had seen a vision of a Christian symbol which 
led him to victory in one of his battles. Christianity had now entered into the halls of power and was no longer simply a religion, but a political tool attached to power and wealth. In the 4th century, in an endeavour to convert pagans to the new state religion of Christianity, Christians imported the Saturnalia festival, promising pagans they could continue with their celebrations as Christians. The main issue with this, though, was there was nothing remotely Christian about Saturnalia. The remedy to this was that Christian leaders named Saturnalia's last day, December 25th, as the birthday of Jesus, and the job was done, compromising a pagan festival and giving it a legitimacy for new converts. Around 350 AD, the Bishop of Rome, Pope Julius I, declared in a letter to the Bishop of Jerusalem, Cyril, that December 25th was the time of Christ's birth. And this papal decree was eventually accepted by the whole of Christianity, except for the Armenian church in the East, who believe that Christ's birth should be celebrated on the 6th of January. The only reason, therefore, that our Western culture celebrates Christ's birth on December 25th is because of this ancient papal decree. Now this compromise with paganism is not unusual and is a clearly documented strategy of the Roman Catholic Church. By way of example, consider this letter Pope Gregory wrote to a British missionary, Abbot Melitus, in AD 601. Quote, I have, upon mature deliberation on the affair of the English, determined upon that the temples of the idols in that nation ought not to be destroyed, but let the idols that are in them be destroyed, let holy water be made and sprinkled in the said temples, let altars be erected and relics placed, that the nation, seeing that their temples are not destroyed, may remove error from their hearts, and knowing and adoring the true God, may the more familiarly resort to the places to which they have been accustomed. They may build themselves huts of the boughs of trees about those churches which have been turned to that use from temples, and celebrate the solemnity with religious feasting, and no more offer beasts to the devil, but kill cattle to the praise of God in their eating, and return thanks to the giver of all things for their sustenance, to the end that, while some gratifications are outwardly permitted them, they may the more easily consent to the inward consolations of the grace of God. For there is no doubt that it is impossible to efface everything at once from their obdurate minds, because he who endeavours to ascend to the highest place rises by degrees or steps and not by leaps." End quote. We can see here then an early glimpse of the operations of the church. They would not seek to convert people from paganism in one go. They would simply superimpose their, their ideology on top of pagan ideas, rituals and holy places, so that Christianity would become palatable to a pagan. The pagan could continue to enjoy the things he liked, but the church would allow him to do so under the mantle of Christianity. They would compromise in order 
that they would retain popularity. This is the reason why people still celebrate a festival in December. The only reason it is associated with the birth of Christ at all is because a Pope decreed it 300 years after the event took place on the basis of the fact that it was once a pagan festival. There is no Bible verse which suggests otherwise. Because of its obvious pagan and popish origin, Christmas was actually banned by the Puritans in England between the years of 1642 and 1660. Christmas was also banned for this reason in many parts of America by early settlers who took the Puritan ideas with them as they migrated. Also in Scotland, the Scottish Presbyterian churches believed there was no biblical foundations for Christmas, and so right up until 1958, the 25th of December remained a normal working day and not a public holiday. However, even though these ideas of non-compliance to the compromise that the church had made were promoted in these small pockets of time, for the most part, the ideas and rituals of a winter celebration continued to be practised. The winter celebrations were so loved and longed for due to the emotions they stirred that it meant Christians continued to observe the winter festival and eventually all resistance to the origins of Christmas failed. It is now considered a very strange thing for anyone, even non-Christians, to not observe the celebration of the Mass of Christ. So what does the Bible say? Well, when we turn to the scriptures, we find they are silent about celebrating the birth of Christ. In fact, nowhere in the Bible do we find examples of the early believers of Christ celebrating his birth. In fact, in Ecclesiastes we read, A good name is better than precious ointment, and the day of death than the day of one's birth. Ecclesiastes 7 verse 1. And in this vein, the scriptures do tell us to remember Christ's death when he had accomplished his mission to overcome sin rather than his birth by which he had accomplished little. For example, we're told to remember Christ's death and resurrection in 1 Corinthians 11 verses 23 to 25. If one were to even attempt to calculate the birth of Christ using solely the Bible, the best we might do is to find that Christ was born around the autumn time, not in December. Now, if we were to look at the idea of celebrating Christ's birth, and even though the concept is not biblical, conclude that we might like to mark this occasion, then if we were to just use the Bible, how would we go about doing this? How would we go about marking his birth? Well, if you did do this, it would be very surprising if you concluded to cut down a tree from a forest, bring it home and decorate it with lights and gold and silver tinsel and then put presents under it. You certainly would not conclude that weaving a holly wreath and hanging it on your front door was also a legitimate form of celebration. Why? Because none of these rituals are biblical. Many of the customs of Christmas are clearly pagan and have their origins way back to even before the Roman times. For example, the custom of Christmas trees find their origins as a pagan ritual. 
pagans had long gone out and worshipped trees in the forest by decorating them with candles, helping the gods of light. They also brought them into their own homes and decorated them. We know this was an ancient pagan practice because, in fact, this is mentioned in the Bible in Jeremiah. In Jeremiah 10 verses 1 to 4 we read, Hear ye the word which the Lord speaketh unto you, O house of Israel. Thus saith the Lord, Learn not the way of the heathen, and be not dismayed at the signs of heaven. For the heathen are dismayed at them, for the customs of the people are vain. For one cutteth a tree out of the forest, the work of the hands of the workmen with the, with the axe. They deck it with silver and with gold, they fasten it with nails and with hammers, that it move not. Other traditions are the remnants of the ancient pagan ideas also. For example, the tradition of kissing under the mistletoe harks back to ancient fertility celebrations. Another one is holly wreaths, which hark back to pagan signs which help to ward off and keep evil gods at bay. These are all customs which find their origins firmly in paganism. Some of these have been Christianized, but most of the customs have remained true to their original form, although their meanings have mostly faded from most people's consciousness. So what? So what is the purpose in considering the origin of these things? Well, one point which we might take away with us from this brief consideration is that it really exposes the compromises that early Christianity made with pagan ideas and practices. When considered in the light of the Bible, we actually find many of the ideas of paganism, and not just a winter festival, have filtered through to modern Christianity. Ideas like the immortality of the soul, for example, are not biblical. And for a simple proof of this fallacy, turn yourself at some point to Ezekiel chapter 18 and verse 20. The concept of a bad god with horns and goat legs are seen in ancient Greek mythology. The god Pan, for example, took the form of a man with goat's legs and horns. And he was the god of mischief and naughtiness. And of course, this idea was popularised by the church in its teachings of a fallen angel devil. Sometimes, after considering the truth of the Bible, we can wonder how that modern Christianity has fallen so far away from the true Bible teaching on these matters by compromising so obviously with pagan ideas. However, we must realise that this is in fulfilment of Bible prophecy. One of the most amazing things about the New Testament record are the prophecies that the truth of the gospel would in fact become corrupted. For example, the Apostle Paul is recorded to have said in Acts chapter 20, verses 27 to 30, For I have not shunned to declare unto you all the counsel of God. Take heed therefore unto yourselves and to all the flock, for I know this that after my departing shall grievous wolves enter in among you, not sparing the flock. Also of your own selves shall men arise, speaking perverse things, to draw away disciples after them. Again, in Timothy, 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 3 to 4, we read, 
For the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine, but after their own lusts shall they heap to themselves teachers, having itching ears, and they shall turn away their ears from the truth, and shall be turned unto fables. We read from Peter, but there were false prophets among, uh, also among the people, even as there shall be false teachers among you, who privily shall bring in damnable heresies, even denying the Lord that brought them, and bring upon themselves swift destruction, and many shall follow their pernicious ways, by reason of whom the way of truth shall be evil spoken of, and through covetousness, shall they with feigned words make merchandise of you, whose judgment now of a long time lingereth not, and their damnation slumbereth not. 2 Peter 2 verses 1 to 3. Therefore with these Bible prophecies in mind, we can see the fulfilment of the truth of these things in the demonstration of the celebration of Christmas. The celebration of the Mass of Christ is an example of the corrosion of the truth and explains how the gospel message is all but lost to those who have put their trust in church systems which have clearly compromised with pagan ideas on this winter festival and on the various other doctrines which we see are held by modern Christianity. The inspired Apostle Paul warns believers in the Ecclesia of Thessalonica of a false system which would arise with a man of sin as its figurehead who would deceive people so that they would believe in lies. He says, for example, in verse 3 of 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, let no man deceive you by any means, for that day, the return of Christ, shall not come except there come a falling away first, an apostasy. And when we read 2 Thessalonians fully, we see it links with the characteristics of a religious power which the prophet Daniel prophesies of, who says that it would grow out of the system of the politics of the Roman Empire. In Daniel 7, we read of the Roman system, which is described as a dreadful and terrible beast in verse 7. Out of this beast arise various horn powers, and this is said of one of them. And he shall speak great words against the Most High, and shall wear out the saints of the Most High, and think to change times and laws, and they shall be given into his hand until a time and times and the dividing of time. Daniel 7 verse 25 Now the only religious system which fits the requirements of this prophecy is the rise of the Roman Catholic Church with its great figurehead, the papacy. And one of the times that God permitted this system to have control over was clearly the winter festival time when this system declared that Christ was born. Society has followed this law ever since. However, this way of things will not continue. There will be an end to this system's times and laws. For we read in Daniel, They shall take away his dominion, 
to consume and to destroy it unto the end. And the kingdom and dominion and the greatness of the kingdom under the whole heaven shall be given to the people of the saints of the Most High, whose kingdom is an everlasting kingdom, and all dominions shall serve and obey him. Daniel seven twenty six to 27. Therefore, the mass of Christ will not be part of that kingdom of God on the earth, We are indeed thankful to God for revealing and preserving his truth in his holy word. That word which has remained pure, even though those who profess to follow it have compromised themselves with false ideas. Surely it should be our endeavour to be able to adopt the words of the psalmist as personal prayers of our own, as we read in Psalm 25, Unto thee, O Lord, Do I lift up my soul, O my God, I trust in thee. Let me not be ashamed, let not mine enemies triumph over me. Yea, let none that wait on thee be ashamed. Let them be ashamed which transgress without cause. Show me thy ways, O Lord. Teach me thy paths. Lead me in thy truth and teach me. For thou art the God of my salvation. On thee do I wait All the day, Psalm 25, verse 1 to 5. This has been Matt Davies joining you. Join us again next week, God willing, for another Bible in the News.